Hey, it's Alicia here, and welcome to a special Central Vineyard podcast. This episode is called Who Cares? And in it, I want to explore a bit further how you can go about receiving good care in this time. So this week, over Zoom, I caught up with our very own Matt Judd, who's a counsellor, and Amanda Pilbrow, who's a spiritual director in training, to discuss care through their various lenses. We pray there's something helpful and insightful you can glean from our conversation. Enjoy. So we're today, I think day 30 in lockdown, and I'm aware that there are some people that are absolutely loving this, they're thriving, they're in their houses like a caveman, um, just loving it. Um, And there are a few, well, some people that are really struggling as well that we're aware of, just an array of states and emotions. There's a term that's going around at the moment, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, called languishing. It's explaining that there's this mode of feeling or emotion called languishing where it's not depressed. Um, Adam Young, Mm -hmm. New York Times, was saying it's not depressed and it's not burnt out, but at the same time, it's not flourishing either. It's kind of in that middle state of just muddling through their day, but in a fog. Um, And where once things were joyful and they enjoyed it, it's now become dull. And so they kind of, are just kind of like this. Um, so many people are acknowledging and feeling that's that's where they're at at the moment. So whatever array of feelings you may be at or where we may be at, but what a great chance, what a great opportunity to talk to the likes of you, you guys, a trained counsellor and a, a training spiritual director, um, and to chat about our areas a little bit. So let's lead into the first question for you guys, which is when or in what circumstances would you guys recommend people seek support from a spiritual director and or counsellor? So, Amanda, perhaps I can throw this one to you. As I guess spiritual direction is an area which is a little bit more unknown to quite a few people. It's it's the newbie, I guess, in this kind of area of care. And So throw it to you and you can explain to us that a little bit. Sure. So spiritual direction, even though it's a fairly new concept um, for our Western society, it's actually a really old practice that has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, And it pulls in different elements like contemplation, um, silence, um, solitude, centred prayer, that type of thing. But it also is a place where... Someone can go, and you don't have to have a crisis to go to a spiritual director. It could be just a sense, perhaps your prayer life has gone a bit flat. Um, Perhaps there is some deconstruction going on. Um, But spiritual direction is a place where you can go, where you can be encouraged to bring you the focus back to what God is doing or what God is not doing. And the idea behind it is that you already have the knowing. Everything that God has placed in you is already, and a selector's role is actually just to ask very open, simple questions, which I guess is probably very much the same with a counsellor, but to tease out the things that actually you already know, but you haven't yet articulated. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, 
so there is a sense of a spiritual director's role is to help you to articulate God's presence in your life. Um, sometimes that can mean that you need to deconstruct some theology, which means unlearning, which is always uncomfortable. Um, and then the process moves through to a new learning. So you then discover something new about who you are in God and also about God. Yeah, so the, it's a big trust journey. I trust um, my clients, but more than that, I trust the spirit and, the, and my client. Um, and mm. I walk alongside them. And whatever decisions they decide are, where they want to go, what they want to do, the decisions they want to make. Um, that's where we go. I'm the navigator, so I walk alongside. Yeah, so that that for me, in a nutshell, is spiritual direction. I was reading a book today um, by uh, Shane Hips. It's called Selling Water by the River. And he talks about the fact that we uh, – we have been led to believe that the buildings beside the river or the living water, those buildings are our churches. And often we're led to believe that the only access to the water is through the vessel that that particular church uses. What spiritual directions does is it says you actually have access to the water yourself. Yeah, in a nutshell, I mean, it sounds complex, and it is, um, but it's also incredibly simple. I just get to sit there and encourage someone to to notice what God is doing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Is that through conversation? Is that through creativity? Yeah, there's a mix. You use, right? Yeah, there's a mix. So sometimes it's just as simple as um, a conversation. Um, sometimes in a session you might spend some time at the very beginning in silence um, or in prayer um, again it's up to the person that comes to you how they want to start their session um, my spiritual director will often bring out paper and coloured crayons which I loathe because I'm an artist and all of a sudden I feel this pressure to draw something other than a stick figure um, and they always end up stick figures. Um, <laughs> but the whole idea that sometimes we can't articulate what's going on inside, but we draw something and then our brain and heart makes those connections. So, yeah, there can be, um, there can be creative ways to do that. There can be music. Um, a client might bring a piece of music that has really spoken to them and we'll sit and listen to it together. And then I'll just go, so what, what was going on in that music for you? Um, where were you feeling it in your your head, your heart, your gut? Um, so there's lots of different ways to approach it. Um, listening very much to the client, perhaps pushing them a little bit out of their comfort zone. Um, again, with the idea that God is present and God is moving in whatever way they bring their story. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And what, wow. what do you see the outcome often usually being? Like it sounds to me like it's more than just empowering, right? It's like there's a yeah. difference between knowing about God and getting yep. intellectually and learning things and actually experiencing and encountering God in their own lived experiences. 
Is mm. that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, very much. I mean, I can only only really speak from my own experience um, where my spiritual director and sometimes even my supervisor, they will they will catch me trying to hide a feeling. Mm. Like I'm trying to avoid what's going on really in here. And they'll stop me and they'll go, oh, your body language changed there. Do you want to tell me what's going on? And those sorts of questions causes you to stop and you, and you have to go, well, what is going on? Actually, I'm feeling really angry about this situation. And then we discover what, what's going on from there. Um, Sometimes there's what I call a penny drop moment where they will say something or I will say something and I haven't actually heard myself and then my spiritual director will reflect that back and they'll go, can you say that again? Mm. And I'll go, oh, but I did everything right. I, you know, I don't think I did any. Oh, <laughs> oh. you know, those penny drop moments. Um, and those are really those are really precious moments because that is often where the spirit is working to bring to your attention something to set you free um, or to push you further into something that, that needs to be sorted out. Yeah, it's beautiful. Awesome. It's um, so many different overlapping to what therapy also does right like when I heard the creative artwork and and the noticing of posture and and being caught out on that man I've had those moments in therapy so many times Mm -hmm. Um, for the first time my therapist told me to draw something and I just looked at her and just was like I'm not doing that I go with practical you give me explanations this faffy stuff isn't going to work for me and she's like just try it I was like oh went home drew something on a mess. Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 it just opens up, like you say, the different atmosphere yeah. in our brains that just sparks something that unconsciously is there, right? Um, anyway, so Matt, do you, do you want to explain and answer the question that we first had from a counselling perspective? In terms of the person presenting for therapy it, it's very much like I guess it's it's generally um, a number of reasons why a person might do that and it, and I guess it it's like either their own journey of um, seeing something within themselves or a theme in their life or a perhaps a problem or a predicament that they're facing um, and it sort of like gives you gives them that sense that oh man I, maybe I I need to talk about that or maybe I need to um, do something with that because it's, it's, it's jarring or it's not, it's not sitting well with me. Um, but, but certainly that's not the only way that people <laughs> turn up to therapy. And, and often it's other people in, in your life that um, notice those things or, or point something out or, yeah, we, we all have those people, right? Um, and I think, yeah, and that's that's great because we all live um, socially connected lives, um, and we're all communal people in a sense. And I suppose, I suppose, yeah, for me, uh, the way I break it down is like a person, uh, yeah, like a predicament or problem, um, 
that that may be say holding them back or yeah just not not kind of um allowing them to to align with maybe how they see their lives going or their values or or um yeah there's honestly like limitless um i guess reasons you could say why someone might present for therapy and um yeah certainly like in my role in schools, unfortunately, in a way, a lot of it ends up being centered around safety and, um, you yeah, know, kind of more crisis moments of mental health, I suppose you would say. So there's that element to it as well, where it's almost like, yep, yeah, this, you almost don't have a choice. You're, you're going to do something about that. And often that's, that's always hard as well, because it's not necessarily client led at that point, or it doesn't always feel like that. Um, I wouldn't say there's a, a right or wrong reason why someone would come to counselling, but I think I would say that there are benefits. Um, here, here I go um, doing a little plug for counselling, but I think I think no, there's there's multiple reasons, and I think um, like you spoke about before, Amanda, definitely in my own training, that was something that I I had to do the mahi, I had to look into my own journey and and speak about it and be uncomfortable and be messy. And I suppose to an extent that's sort of what tends to happen in the therapy room. But what I'd also say on top of that, and maybe this might be um, something that, I don't know, adds to one of the other questions you you had on your list, um, Alicia, but just every therapist will probably come from a, a different sort of philosophical Um, foundation so I won't sort of go into that too much but I try to break down the barriers of like what therapy or counseling is by by some of it is is the way we talk about it and the language we use Mm -hmm. and I really think if I could boil it down it's just people telling stories about their life um that's as simple as it needs to be um and I think so the hope for me is that we break down the stigma and some of the um, the worries or apprehension that people have uh, before making that decision to come speak to a counsellor um, by by changing the language by by sort of thinking of it a little bit differently. That it's yeah, it's a connection that is it can be quite intimate and quite daunting, but it's a connection with a, another human being and it's a it's a relationship that of trust that gets formed and. Um, or hopefully that's that's what will get formed. Um, not always the case, obviously. Um, has to be someone you 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 feel comfortable around. So, you know, yeah. shop around your therapist. No, just kidding. And your uh, every therapist has a different area which they not only specialize in, but a type of area that they work out of and yeah, and it, yep. it is important to work out who that is for you and what season. It may be that that therapist is good for that season, right? And then yep. you need a different one for a different season. Yeah, yeah. Would you say you mentioned about crisis and you talked about it through the lens of youth? But mm. I think a lot of people think, okay, therapy is great, um, mm. but it's usually for people that, you know, are really needing it, like really yeah. They're really struggling. Do you wish that people came at earlier before that kind of yeah. now overwhelmed? Yeah. 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 Short short answer is yes, 100%. Um, and, yeah, I, I think 
again, this this probably comes with the territory of of if we can break down some of these um, stigmas and and make it more accessible for people to do that. It's sort of yeah, I guess normalizes the idea of of seeing a counsellor. And the other part to it, I think, is is really important is the position that the therapist takes is quite important. And and for me, any good therapist will will sort of hold a position that's not about dishing out textbook answers or yeah, um, this is what you need to do with your life as such um, because it's a person's unique um, life and if we can invite them, similar to what you were saying, Amanda, to to reflect on um, what skills and abilities they have um, already that and that may be implicit within their story but maybe we're the ones who curiously ask questions that that invite um, those skills and strengths and values forward a little bit more um, so that they're walking in that story, that that identity story uh, a little bit more firmly, I suppose you could say. Yeah. But it's a huge shift you're saying that, right? Like saying, I want explanation. I have a problem. I have acknowledged it. I have come to you as a professional. Um, I want explanation. And isn't yeah. that such a, a characteristic of ours, we treat it like a, a broken car. Um, yeah. You go to the mechanic and get it fixed. And we kind of want you, and I feel this in the, in the same area in a pastoral care, sometimes you people may come to me and, and, and say, oh, you know, like something big, and, and then tell me what's wrong in the first yeah. session. Um, and <laughs> they want to be wanting, I incorporate myself in this, wanting an explanation. Um, a concrete reason, but humans aren't like that, right? We are not like mm. that. We're not predictable. Oftentimes, like Mandy's saying, there's mystery with ourselves, with God and the our lives, and it can't be a predictable, controlled thing, right? So it's getting mm. around the fact of I'm coming to you to be of assistance and to glean things and to glean from God and who we are, but it's through connection, it's through intimacy rather than answers. Yeah, unless, um, I mean, coming back to Matt saying it's important that you do the mahi, mm. um, you know, you, you're never going to, you're never going to mature if someone just keeps feeding you the answer. Mm. You actually have to do the hard work and the digging and that's where, you know, the, the really good stuff is, where you figure out how your brain works, how your heart works, how your gut works, how your spirit works. Um, so often change doesn't take place mm. if counselling or spiritual direction or pastoral care assumes that we have the answer for somebody else. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really dangerous place. I used to find as in my pastoral role as a pastor that my assumption was they were coming to me because I had the theological answers. And this isn't about theology, this is actually about spirituality um, mm. and authenticity and wholeness Um so sometimes a person's theology is very much in the way of them discovering their authenticity. 
um, and their relationship with God. And we can't, we cannot give them an answer so that they can bypass that process. Mm. They'll never, they'll never move. They'll never grow. They'll never discover things about themselves. Um, my biggest learning in spiritual direction is actually just keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, that's because I'm a, I'm a one on the Enneagram. So I'm a reformer and I'm a perfectionist. And often I have already worked out the answer in my head, but I need to keep my mouth shut because it's not the answer for, for my direct. Yeah, and I think um, that yeah, we've talked a little about that relational space. I suppose that is that's formed um, in both the, all, all of these contexts, really. And I think that's that's that space of of holding a person in that way, not not physically, but I mean, like just emotionally holding that space and honouring um, what they bring and the words they speak. I think there's there's something. What, which still surprises me being on the other side, being the counsellor, um, when people are able to step into that. And I, I'm, I'm stoked that it still surprises me because that's, that's how it should be. It's like it surprises me that people bring these stories that are precious. Um, and if we treat them and listen to those as precious, then I think that's, that's a very powerful thing. Mm. Um, and that's not always with speaking as well, like you said, Amanda. Um, or, or sometimes it's this, just the smallest, smallest of questions. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, definitely, um, that relational space is, is super important. And I think, although, yeah, I've been in a similar place of wanting answers and, and just wanting short, sharp. And I suppose that's a maybe a symptom of uh, the generation that we're in and um, that fast culture of. Um, yeah, gratification. But I suppose, yeah, it's like, yeah, I often get surprised and, and pretty blown away what that that people actually sit in that space and 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 you know usually um take something away, which is 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 not what they maybe expected, but yeah. but in having heard themselves um being listened to and 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 being valued and validated and um yeah, all that sort of sort of thing is um that's that's a huge component um and then yeah for me it's it's really like honoring their unique stories that they bring and and help and helping to navigate the meaning of those stories yeah so even though Matt you say that you it's mainly hearing stories and reflecting back and and tuning them and being with them while they're realizing things as a therapist as well would there be strategies that you would encourage them to do and take away but um i definitely think yeah there there are some helpful what what i sort of boil it down to and i think another way of looking at it is like because i have the privilege of hearing people's stories part of what can be done is 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 collecting or having a sort of um almost scrapbook of ideas and, and collection of those those rich stories and obviously with the with that person's permission being able to potentially offer that um that as a as a connection what am i trying to say here like it's sort of like this person's talking about the anxiety and worries that are really facing them and 
you know, they're describing a very specific thing and it's not to discredit that, that uniqueness to it, but it is to say, hey, someone else told this story um, just last weekend and this is kind of, you know, and it's not, it's not just sharing all the detail of it, but there's ways that those stories can be connected um, and can be used. So to answer your question, I think, I don't know, I'm not, I'm really, um, I find that a hard one. I don't, I don't necessarily dish out um, strategies, but in saying that I do, there are some very helpful things, um, you know, that that we would generally say are good, like things like slowing down, being mindful, being grounded, breathing really well, all those kinds of things, I think, you know, um, yeah, I would say, I suppose you could call those strategies that we would sometimes there's there can almost be like a i guess psychoeducational component to the work um but i'd say for me that's a small that's a smaller component i don't know it's probably different for everyone yeah you touched on it before but the, the next question that i have for you guys was like there can be stigmas around getting help and support Recent ones that come up would be why do i need to see anyone i've got the bible or my support system, or my intuition. Or the second one, like we've touched on, is um, they minimise what they're going through or their situation and say other people have it worse than me. There's other people that are more deserving. I'll be fine. What would you say to to those two? Well, there's a, I mean, you're sort of digging into a huge theological concept there of the inerrancy of the Bible that it has all the answers, um, and I'll go out on a limb and be a heretic and say, actually, it doesn't, because God's not confined to God's Bible. Um, um, I think we're actually called to question things and to um, to challenge, and I know that that can feel incredibly unfaithful, mm. but that's actually what faith is. Faith isn't certainty. Mm. Faith isn't finding all the answers in the Bible. Um, they're just simply not there. You actually need connection with other people. You need to go see people like yourselves. Um, it's, it, I find it incredibly frustrating um, when people say, oh, I'll just go to the Bible and I'll find the answers there. Well, the people in the Bible didn't go to the Bible to find the answers there. So, you know, God spoke to them through dreams and visions and conversations and anguish and pain and joy and all these other things that were going on in the territory of their lived reality. Mm. And they had to figure things out from there. So for us to go, we can just go to the Bible and find the answer, I think, is is a really easy way to avoid going deep. Um, and I know that perhaps sounds really harsh, but God is not confined to a book. It's actually a book about incredibly messy, messed up, um, faithful and faithless people. And if we keep going back to that to find our answers, I think we're just going to keep getting stuck. So mm. counselling pastoral care, spiritual direction, they're all ways of finding God's presence in your reality. You got me on the whole subject of 
unfaithful question. <laughs> I, I calm you down. I calm you down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Matt, did you want to say anything on top of that? Yeah, 100% agree with that. And, um, um, I guess uh, one saying that sticks with me from like um, part of my training is like the conversations that I would hope to have with people are, are conversations where you take them out to the places where the bus doesn't run, if that makes sense. So like, yeah, because otherwise you're just traveling the same bus route all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so if, if you take if therapy is taking people out to the places where the bus doesn't run, um, you're going to be doing the mahi and you're going to be learning about yourself um, in ways that you probably didn't expect, which is the good stuff, like Amanda said. Yeah. Yeah. That's Mm. beautiful. Mm. We'll come to life through the lenses of what we've been formed by already, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of occasions where, um, you know, Jesus often said, you have heard it said. And he's referring back to their traditions and um, the Old Testament, well, what, what we know as the Old Testament, but the Torah. But then he goes on to say, but I say to you. Mm. So this is actually Jesus giving us permission to go, I know that it says that, mm. but now what are you going to do with it? Mm. And I think there's a great challenge in that. Um, where people, if people are finding that they're stuck or they're flatlined or there's a stigma around going to get help, um, maybe you know, maybe something as simple as so. So, what does God say to me here? Could that be the catalyst for them mm. coming to get some help? Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And I think, I guess we have to shift the goal is that we're not trying to be a better person, right? Mm. Actually, to be able to connect and to see ourselves the way God sees us. Yeah. Able to be the light isn't to be a writer person. It's actually to recognise in ourselves who we are and to be overwhelmed by how much God truly loves us and still continue. Right, mm. like that's that's the goal to see any of us or another avenue area. Those are the goals. Yeah. yeah. There's a um, there's a beautiful Hebrew word called teshuva, and when we translate it to English, it means repent. Mm. And within our evangelical Western understanding, all we hear is repent and you need to do a 180 turn and you need to get your life back on track. But actually the word teshuva means to come home. And it's um, the way that it's often told um, in the Jewish context is that it's like God coming alongside you and whispering, come back home. Mm. Come and see yourself as I see you. And that's the coming home. Yeah. Um, and I think if, you know, whatever area of walking alongside we're in, um, if we can be a part of that journey of helping people to see themselves as God sees them, mm. then that's that's an incredible privilege. Yeah. And it's incredibly humbling. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah, it's the idea that to see yourself in full authenticity as God sees you. God sees us as wonderfully made. Mm. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. It's um, been an honour. It's been beautiful. And I really respect what you guys have said. So I hope and pray that this is um, helpful to people. It's been helpful for me. So thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Leish. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Nice to chat. Yeah, nice to chat. Thank you, guys. That's right. awesome.